I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 206 DGS. Coming up at 2.30, we have a uh, professor. Uh, who is an expert on the Apollo missions, and uh, she will be joining us at 2.30. She got her Ph.D. in 2014, so 10 years ago, so she's probably in her mid to late 30s. And uh, Andrew, who's already uh, more than made his uh, uh, appearance on the show worth it by being a Coco the Gorilla denier, <laughs> <laughs> said during lunch that, uh, that this lady's like 45 to 50, you know, maybe like more around my age. And I'm like, really? She doesn't look that old at all. And Andrew was flummoxed that anyone his age could have a PhD. I was like, no, no, no. This, this can't be right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this can't be right. that's what my kid's doing. She'll be finished with it when she's about almost 30. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now she, but she took a gap year between master's and PhD. Wow. So your daughter was able to get a PhD before 30 and take a gap year, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I mean, like, there's no special. It's just the timing but, of but, it. But how, no, many Coco, how many Coco the Gorilla videos does she watch? I mean, she probably knows all of them. <laughs> She's you pretty may, smart. And this is true. You know, you ever think, like, I wonder where I rate on physical attractiveness or how fast I can run or blah, blah, blah. You got to be in the top 1% of Coco deniers. Definitely the hottest one. (laughs) I can't argue that. (laughs) Uh, Rage, tell us about what's going on in California with the toy stores. Yeah, so they have created this new rule or law that says that if you are a store with over 500 employees and you sell toys, then you must have a gender-neutral toy aisle available for kids whenever they're shopping at their store. Um, and there's a, they will come in and fine you if if they come into your store and see that you don't have these gender neutral options. Um, I have pretty, I guess I don't have complicated feelings on this. I think this is a pretty big overreach for the government to come in and say, this is how you have to have your store laid out. Totally agree. I was just up at my mom's this weekend. We were watching my nieces and Blair grabbed a like a police truck out of her bag and she was playing with that because that's her toy. Mm-hmm. Now that's a toy that's probably marketed to boys. It's probably in the boy aisle if there is a boys and a girls aisle at Walmart or something. She still gravitates towards it and still wants to play with it along with her dolls. I think we're overcomplicating it by being like, you you can't ever steer your child in any direction. They're going to naturally go towards yeah. the toy they want to go to, whether it's a boy or a girl, whichever aisle it's in, I think they have access to all the toys already. I mm-hmm. I tend to think that 
one of our biggest problems in this society, personally, parents, government, is that we try to friggin hard. There's just a natural way things work. Childhood is one of them. One of the purest. I don't remember ever going to a toy store that had any sort of label boys or girls. Now, maybe you can say like, well, yeah, the boys are the army men and the girls are the Barbie dolls. Okay. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. But people gravitate to what they gravitate to. Uh, in my In my childhood, I think had I gravitated towards Barbies, there would have been a reckoning. Uh, I don't think I would have done that with my kids. You know, some boys like to play with dolls. Some girls like to play with action figures. I don't think it's a big deal. I think kids don't need to be manipulated. I don't think kids need to be indoctrinated. I think kids are going to do what they want to do. No, I'm not saying don't parent. I'm just saying, man, take a breath. Mm -hmm. Seriously, is that the biggest deal in the world that your child being of this gender or that gender wants to play with this game or this toy? Is that really that big of a deal that, you know, a little boy, for example, who wants to play the doll doesn't mean he's going to be gay or bisexual or whatever. But if he is, I don't think you making him play with uh, a quote unquote boys toy is going to circumvent that either. Right. That's a good way to look at it. What I don't understand about this and why I think it's a good point on overreach and it feels like it feels like an attention grab. It feels like see what we're doing. Yeah. And here's what I don't this. I haven't been in a toy store in a long time, so maybe I'm wrong. It's not like a clothing store, right? They don't have a boys section or girls section. Things are just that are alike are put together. Right. So Barbies are next to other dolls. The army guys are next to G.I. Joe's or, you know, Star Wars and spacey things are all comic book things are all next to each other. They're more grouped by what the things are rather than boys and girls. And that perception going in is what we bring in, not actually how the store is set up. Now, again, haven't been to a toy store in a long time. Last time I was, though, there was nothing labeled boy section, girl section. It was just and here are things that are alike. Again, to be clear, I'm 59. My childhood, uh, had I picked up a girl's toy, every it would it would someone would have made a thing out of it. My friends would have made a thing out of it. My parents would have made a thing out of it. It just that's just the way it was. Now it never. I don't remember ever thinking about it. Oh boy, I wish I could play with that doll, or oh boy, I wish this or that. I just I just did what I did as a kid. Yeah. You know? There's there's a store here in St. Louis. I won't say the name of it because I don't know if they want the publicity or not, but I've been there shopping for my nieces and I'm pretty sure everything is gender neutral. I have no problem with that. If a store wants to do that, if that's your ethos, like, great. But I think it's really weird for the government to come in and say, yeah. you have to do this. Yeah. And also, I, I if someone knows the answer to this, I would love a tweet from you or call into the show. This whole thing where it's like, well, you can't make it pink because that's a girl's color. And that's not inclusive. Like, I can't make that make sense in my mind. Pink is just a color. It's something we've arbitrarily decided that girl, like, is for girls. And, yeah, little girls do seem to gravitate towards that and purple and, you know, the pretty pastels and stuff. But it doesn't mean that it's inherently feminine to be drawn to those colors. It's so weird. It's just like a thing we made up. But then we're saying that that's all made up, but you can't use it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, here's another thing, too, and, and people will disagree with this, I'm sure, but having an 18-year-old, and she's home for break now, so spending much more time with her and getting to know her little KU world and, you know, whatnot, 
her world is so different from mine now. It's so different from what my world was like at 18. She, her friends, her generation, like every generation, thinks that the other one's got it wrong, that they've got it right. They'll grow up, they'll mature, they'll evolve, they'll change one way or another. But while I would give Phoebe advice, I would give her counsel, I would uh, discipline her to the point you can an 18-year-old if she was doing something I thought was very harmful. It's not, I'm not a hands-off parent. At the same time, I, it's a fool's errand for me to try to convince her, no, 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 my generation had it right. You kids, you need to, let me tell you about a band called Kacha Goo Goo, right? And uh, I would never try to take away from her what her values are as a Gen Z kid. I can have influence on her, but I think uh, the best influence you can have is just being what you're going to be. And like, oh, what's your dad like? Oh, he's kind of like this. What's your mom like? Oh, she's sort of like this. As opposed to constantly trying to mold them like clay. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes more sense for a... For a seven-year-old, uh, but f- once once a kid's like a teenager and, and early 20s, a young adult, I don't know why people think they're going to change their generation. It's, it is what it is. People tried to change mine. Didn't work. Nope. People tried to change yours. Didn't work. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Think about the things that older generations were saying about what we now refer to as the boomers during the 1960s. Oh, they were the they were the end of society. Now, not all of them, right? Not everybody was a hippie. They weren't all anti-war protesters, but the generation got labeled. Yeah. Well, what did the generation become? Uh, you change. Every generation changes. The younger ones are not going to be like you when you are 50 years older than them. They're not. And they're not going to be like them at 18 when right. they're 59. When they, right. They may not be at 59 what we are at 59, but they will be very different from the generations that are younger than them. And we're going to repeat this dumb cycle. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand it. And I, I think that that's the other part, too, is people st- I think people still hold the belief, Dave, that that you can you can push your child to be what you want them to be, whether that means they're going to be into sports or straight versus gay versus anything else. And I don't I don't think that there's really strong evidence that says you can make someone into something that they're not. Well, I've only raised two kids, and I am far from a perfect parent. But I never tried to aim the ball. I never try I never tried for an outcome with my kids. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. And I have friends who did, and it never works out. I mean, it can, but it doesn't always. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if your success rate is 50-50, well, that means it doesn't work. <laughs> right? If you're, if you're failing, and it doesn't have to be the big things. It can be simple things. It can be, you know, again, how many, how many kids have different politics than their parents? Most. Quite a few. Right, right. I don't, I don't know what the number is, but it's a lot, which means you can't just beat something into people. No matter what it is, it can be something big and complex. It can be something as simple as whether you're more drawn to the arts versus sports. And you can't, it, it cannot all, it cannot be controlled. And, and where there sometimes appears to be influence, that tendency may have already existed. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
it's hard it's hard not to try to control things. Yeah. yeah. Especially your kids. Or even if you don't have kids, the younger generation. Oh, these guys are going to hell in a handbasket. Right. And it's not and my my argument is not, you know, don't parent your kids. They're going to be No, you do. You have to influence them, but the, every year they age, your influence diminishes. No matter how hard you try. Science has studied this, and basically by the time your kid is a teenager, your influence on them is less than the influence that the rest of the world around them has. When you're young, it's almost 100% of mm-hmm. the influence on them. And every year you go up, every year you get older, you're getting exposed to more and more things. You have more individual freedom. You're with your friends more than with your parents. And this ain't me making it up. You can go find the information but your your influence over your child diminishes every year they age. Also, another thing I've come to terms with is that uh, regular people, working people, okay, not people who are like, I'm gonna go live in Switzerland and whittle. You know, <laughs> good for them, but I don't consider them like your normal average person. That Generation Z, when they are 45, making a living because they have to. They may be working two or three day work weeks. That's going to seem weird to me when I'm 80 because I have always worked five or more. Right. But as I said a couple weeks ago, uh, my grandpa worked in the coal mines when he was 10. That seems weird to me. Yeah. You kind of have to know when it's no longer your time. Right. If you're alive, it's it's your time for your life. My mom's going to be 97 this year. She's still alive. She still has her uh, her life. She gets to live it the way she wants to, but it's no longer her world. It's not even really mine. Uh, and I just think, God, I have to, we have to get off our soapbox. But <laughs> I think the best you can do is live your life the way you want to, according to your values. But the more you grind against the universe that things should be the way they were in the 50s or in the 70s even, you're not going to win. Because it's just going to, that, that stream's going to keep rolling. You're just going to be angry all the time. And before long, Gen Z's going to be me. Yep. And they're going to be bitching yep. about these kids. They don't know what it's like to work a three-day week. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. And it's going to, and if, and if we, who would probably be dead by 30 years by that time, if we could look in and see it, we'd be like, yeah, there you go. Right? Yeah. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Side of the break, we have a, uh, an expert on the Apollo missions, and I think that's timely because we're going back. It's fascinating. Did you um, see it got delayed going back, though? For how long? So the next mission is now 2025, and the landing on the moon is 2026. Duh! The Artemis stuff just got pushed back basically a year. Damn it. Yeah. Why? I don't remember. I just saw the headline. Um, you know, the other day when I said, uh, hey, I could Google this, but I think it's fun to talk about things you don't know. Like, is there a, a line in the water for the Pacific and the Atlantic? Uh, I have another one of those. Hmm. So we know that in the southern hemisphere, it's the opposite of here. So it's winter here. So in Australia, it's warm, right? It's called winter here. Do they call it winter as well, but it's opposite? Winter's when it's warm and summer's when it's cold, or do they call it summer? No, no, it's the... the, the it it matches the weather. So it's summer there. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You see what I'm getting what I'm yep. getting at yep. though? Like yep. I thought that'd be cool. Yep. Yeah. If for them, winter was like, yes. <laughs> Get out the bikinis. It's yeah. winter. Well, I that didn't take long. Oh, nope. I think it's Easy crazy. One. <laughs> I think it's crazy that <laughs> they have that was supposed to be the rest of the show. Damn it. I think it's crazy <laughs> that they have Christmas like at the same time that we do. Like they have summer Christmas. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's strange. They should change that. They, they should, should change it. Yeah, but to them, that's how they grew up. It would be weird to them if Christmas was snowy. No, oh, they can know I it's tell weird. You, my favorite thing I found <laughs> on TikTok, this this really made me happy. Uh, it just came out of nowhere. It, it's a, uh, a caricature artist. Okay, we're all familiar. Yoda Six Flags. got kind of a big nose. you got a bigger nose. You're on a skateboard. Uh, this <laughs> person, uh, you know what you're getting into when you do it. Like This is why you go to this person. I think it's in Hawaii. But this person is brutal. Brutal. I mean, like, whatever your strangeness is in your face or your body, she's going to come at you. Oh. And you know it going in. Here's what I love about it. Every single one of these I watched, the people were dying laughing. Like, legitimately. And I thought, that's what the world needs. Yes. We need to take our sensitivity down 75% all across the board and we need to up our ability to laugh at ourselves by 75%. That would heal so many things we have going right now. I have the most respect for people that can easily and comfortably oh, laugh yeah. at themselves. 100%. No matter what the joke is. Yeah. Because it may not be 100% true, but you know what's not. A- right. Now, I'm not talking about real meaningful insults. Right? I'm not talking about someone who's clearly intentionally trying to bring you down. Or using racial slurs or whatever. But if they're just poking fun at you, and that's the spirit of it, that's what every stand-up comic does, right? I mean, that's you got to be able to laugh at yourself. Yeah. And realize, I mean, I know I'm ridiculous. Why can't, why can't I laugh at that? That's why everyone was, uh, you know, picking apart that reaction that Taylor Swift had at the Golden Globes because Joe, Joe Coy didn't even say anything insulting towards her, and the reaction seemed to be so negative. And it's just like, come on. Yeah. If you can't say Lighten that, up. what can you yeah. say? Come on. Welcome back, guys. DGS, really excited for my next guest. Dr. Tiesel Mir Harmony is a curator of the Apollo Collection at the Smithsonian, the author of Operation Moonglow, a political history of Project Apollo. She joins us now. Doc, very nice to meet you. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for inviting me to join you today. So first of all, 
that's about the best name I've ever heard. Like that is, <laughs> I really wish that were my name, but it's not. I can't fake it. That's really cool. What what like what what are the the uh, the background underpinnings of that name? Oh yeah, it's unusual. Um, uh, my first name's it's a flower. So oh. my parents were just working on a garden when Very they nice. uh, when they had me. So. <laughs> Not much of a story there, but no, quite unusual. I didn't know that. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm 59, so you're much younger than me. I was old enough to have seen the original Apollo landing, although I don't remember it. And every chance my mom just gave me a bone or something to chew on while they did it. Uh, but for <laughs> you, I mean, the fact that we're going back has to be beyond exciting. It, it is pretty thrilling. It, it definitely is going to be a different feel than it was in the 1960s because um, I always like to remind people that uh, the timeline was so short for the Apollo program. So the first time an American went in space was May 1961, and then they were landing on the moon by 69. So just an extremely compressed schedule and um, brand new whole area of um, exploration. So uh, slightly different back then, but um, it is really exciting that uh, there are these upcoming missions and um, and the idea that humans might uh, you know go for a, a longer time. A sustained presence on the moon is is pretty thrilling. Doc, looking back now, and we've all done the thing like we have more computing power in our iPhones than they did even you know for for those missions. But looking back, do you ever think to yourself as you look at the the collection, it really is a miracle that we are able to pull this off when we did oh it's absolutely extraordinary and that's one thing i love about working with all these artifacts from the um the apollo program because it really gives you a sense of how many challenges had to be solved in order for all those missions to be um so successful and for um nasa to bring bring all these astronauts back alive and um the the kind of the very 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 small details everything had to go perfectly um uh one of the astronauts described it like a, a daisy chain of risks. Mm. So thing after thing after thing had to go right. And challenge after challenge after challenge had to be solved because it was an extremely complex system. And so looking at the artifacts, you really get a sense for um, just all the the work that had to go into it and the hundreds of thousands of people who had to make sure that they did not make any mistakes so that nothing would happen to the astronauts. So we're kind of uh, jumping right into the weeds, but I'm a big science dork. So just to let you know, my understanding is that Apollo 11 that landed on the moon, that they were about 30 seconds from uh, needing to abort because they were hitting the bingo point where they didn't have enough fuel and the pilot was able to find a place at the very last second, almost literally, and land. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, that's correct. Um, they were really, really close to having to abort. So what happened was that as um, as they were landing the lunar module, Neil Armstrong looked out the window and saw that there were big boulders where their wow. landing spot was. And so he had to uh, he had to find a new landing spot, which took up more fuel. And um, yeah, it was less than a minute left. It, the fuel mm. was sort of sloshing around a little. So the, <laughs> the indicator made it look like there was less than there there wasn't there. But um, it was less than a minute. They would have had to abort and then um, come back to Earth. So, uh, yeah, I can't imagine being Unreal. in that position, but they handled it well. Uh, it was a, a beautiful landing. Um, and then obviously uh, that accomplishment of being the first humans to walk on the lunar surface. Talking to Dr. Tiesel Mir Harmony, who's the curator of the Apollo collection at the Smithsonian. Uh, Doc, I know you have a special interest in the political uh, underpinnings of this, as I do. So back in the early 60s and late 50s, when 
when we first started really thinking about this. It's pretty easy to look up in the sky. There's the moon. We have rocket technology. What if we go there? But politically, what were some of the things that were driving the space race? So um, Kennedy was really concerned by the the huge international impact to the first human in space, which was a Soviet cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin, in, in April of 1961. And he thought it was a huge blow to U.S. prestige. Um, and given the larger context of the Cold War, he thought it was essential to sort of win the hearts and minds of the world public. Uh, to get countries to align with the United States. There were a lot of newly independent countries, and he wanted to make sure they aligned with the U.S. and and pursued democracy as opposed to communism. Um, and so he thought pursuing a really impressive, really challenging um, space program would be a great way to do that. And so um, he told his advisors, you know, find me a, a a program that promises dramatic results that we can win. That's how we put it. And um, they came back with this suggestion of sending humans to the moon, landing them there, and then returning them safely back to Earth. So um, it was really, really tied to uh, Kennedy's approach to politics at the time and and um, that he thought that space exploration and this type of mission would be really essential to the U.S.'s standing in the world. So, Doc, this is sort of a $64,000 question, but why have we not been back when we pulled it off with just almost no technology? And now that we have what we do, uh, why has it taken all this time to go back? There are a number of reasons. A simple one is it's, it was extremely expensive. So um, the Apollo program by the mid-1960s was over 4% of the federal budget. And um, NASA today and for many years gets about half a percent of the federal budget. So the what the resources they're working with are smaller. Um, and in the 1960s, it was a major national priority uh, for multiple presidential administrations. And hundreds of thousands of people worked on the, the program. Um, so it was almost like the mobilization you would think for, uh, for a war or something like that. Um, just a, an ex- a really serious level of investment when it comes to the, the people working on it, the hours everyone was putting in, uh, the, the funding that went into the program. And so that's a big part of it. Um, also, there was a lot of consistent sort of presidential will and backing of the um, the Apollo program, first with the Kennedy administration and then the Johnson administration and and President Nixon, even though um, some missions were canceled during his his uh, presidency, he he was very enthusiastic about those missions as well. As well. And so um, since that time, Presidents have proposed a variety of different types of missions. Um, George H.W. Bush had a lunar exploration mission that he proposed, and George W. Bush did too. But then subsequent presidents changed the um, objectives. Uh, and and so, for instance, Obama, um, instead of sending humans to the moon, he wanted to send humans to um, an asteroid. And so just a different different um, focus. And But today it's different. So um, the Trump administration... Um, you know, proposed the Artemis program and sending humans to the the moon, and then um, the Biden administration has kept that same goal, and so we see that we see that uh, sort of consistency through presidential administrations, which is really essential if you're going to have a program that takes many many years to accomplish. Kevin, you have a question? Yeah, is is part of this um, motivation due to a lack of competition for a lot of those years? You know, you, it's fascinating how fast we went from zero to the moon, but we also had somebody else racing against us. And now we seem to have that same thing. It's a different country, but China is in that in that mode. There are private companies that are kind of in this, too. Is the competition a part of that from what you understood? That's a great point. Um, 
competition was essential to the decision to send humans to the moon back in the 1960s. Uh, but I like to emphasize that it wasn't just competition with the Soviet Union to see, you know, who could do it first. It was really about this larger geopolitical context mm -hmm. and um, what they thought it would mean for other countries around the world. So um, really like uh, how it could contribute to that alignment, as I mentioned, and and um, countries choosing what type of political system to pursue. So it was really tied to that that larger Cold War context. Today, there is some question. There's um, China has announced that they're sending humans to the moon as well, and they're going to build a space station there. Mm -hmm. And there's some potential for competition, uh, but the but there's the question whether or not you know there's that same larger geopolitical context, whether or not China or the United States. They're not necessarily competing for global influence through their space programs in the same way. So for, for many years now, the United States has really pursued space cooperation and so working with other countries, um, so international partnership, that kind of space diplomacy. So it's a it's a somewhat different context today than it would have been in the 1960s. But yeah, competition is still um, still at play. And and um, especially as the Chinese space program um, continues to to. Um, move forward with its lunar exploration program, uh, we could see things changing even more. Doc, when people come to the Smithsonian, uh, what are some of the Apollo artifacts that they can see? And then if I was like your very, very best friend in the world, uh, <laughs> what are some of the artifacts that, that you can see but we can't? Oh, well, there's there are so many good ones on display. So we opened a new lunar exploration exhibit last year called Destination Moon in the um, downtown location of our museum. And there you can see the Columbia command module from Apollo uh, 11. You can see uh, the the spacecraft that was the first human, um, the first flight. So Alan Shepard spacecraft, um, uh, the Mercury flight from 1961. Uh, that's in the exhibit as well. Um, simulators, uh, tools, all sorts of fun things like that. Uh, it's, um, yeah, we're going to have, um, a new exhibit that's going to open up, um, uh, soon will be the lunar module two will be on display there, which will be nice to have it back. We have a facility also near Dulles airport in Virginia called the Udvarhazy center. Um, there are more Apollo artifacts you can see out there, including, um, uh, the, mobile quarantine facility, which is a favorite of mine that the Apollo astronauts um, stayed in when they returned from the moon. So huge variety of artifacts. Uh, there's, um, I have thousands in my collection. I should mention though, that many of our artifacts are also on loan to institutions mm -hmm. around the country. And so you can see these Apollo artifacts um, uh, at, at so many different museums around the country, anywhere you're based. Um, so uh, Lots of good things to say. Let's yeah. let's do this again uh, because I I could talk about this for hours. How, how the moon was created and all this kind of stuff. So we'll talk to you again in, in a month or so. Anything other than your book Operation Moon Glow: A Political History of Project Apollo that we can promote for you? Oh, um, nothing for me. But I'm just uh, it's wonderful to talk to you about Apollo, and um, I'm so glad there's there's interest there. Um, I, I could talk about it endlessly. So yeah, <laughs> happy to come back on anytime. <laughs> Yeah, anything I have to do to see the secret stuff. Uh, thank you, Doc. <laughs> really nice to meet you. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Bye. I really could. I could talk, I could oh. go the rest of the night. Yeah, the questions just keep piling up. Yeah. Uh, I started to do a live, and I have her. Started to do one for her. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> uh, so she graduated from MIT with a PhD in 2014. <laughs> uh, can, I talk, can I talk about how lucky I am for a minute? So anyone who knows me knows that I am a bundle of anxiety and insecurity from the jump. 
uh, my whole life. And uh, today I'm driving in and I get downtown and, you know, I've, I've done pretty well, but I bought a lot of stuff on eBay. And uh, and I'm thinking like, oh, my gosh, Phoebe and KU and now she's going to live in this sorority house. And she we we're talking last night about whether she's going to go to law school or not. And I'm just wringing my hands. And then I see a person sleeping under three or four blankets in the rain. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And then Rach and I went. We we had lunch together, all of us, as we do every day. We have a little family lunch. And then Rach and I usually go downstairs. We get coffee, and there's our friend. We're talking to our friend, and there's our friend because it's an art gallery too. And there's a painting I might buy and X Y Z. And we walk upstairs, and our big boss Becky's like, "Oh, I'm going down to get coffee now myself. I couldn't live without it. Isn't it great?" You know how many people punched a clock this morning at seven in the morning, and they'll punch a clock when they leave at seven at night. You know what I mean? It's like. I get how lucky we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to produce a product that not everyone can produce. I get that. And I own that. And I'm proud of that. I'll give us credit for that. But there's so many people who are just selling their time. And if they were to, oh, I'm going to go downstairs and get a coffee and be like, the hell you say? No, you're not. You're going to make those widgets until I tell you to stop making those widgets. I mean, yeah, you see all those art- stories about Amazon warehouse yeah. workers that are like peeing in bottles because they don't have enough bathroom break time to get all the way across. And the you warehouse. do it just for pure pleasure, and I get to do it <laughs> just for fun. I mean, Dave, your your dad and my dad they lived that the grind. Oh yeah, my dad too. Yeah, it's a like I did for a period of time, but then you know that went away. Yeah. Okay, back on my soapbox. I'm really glad. That I grew up very middle class, but lived very lower middle class. My, my my dad was a union carpenter. I don't think there's anything more middle class than that. Kind of defines it to me. But my mom and dad lived below their means. That was smart uh, in hindsight. Um, and I'm glad that I worked. I worked on a farm. I, I worked until I was sore. I worked at Mr. Donut. That blew. You know, Phoebe, love her more than anything in the world, has not had that experience. She worked at uh, Stephanie's Pizza, wasn't the easiest job in the world. She's a worker. She's going to do fine. But I'm glad that my generation, most of us, uh, knew what it was like to come home and be sore. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.